And as we jump into this moment, I'm going to invite you to jump into John chapter 6, which is the chapter that we are going to walk through. And yes, we're going to cover all 71 verses. <laughs> all right, so seriously, uh, like, how's your bracket? Because those of you who maybe don't realize this, you know, people are thinking about this right now, just a little bit. Uh, you, you, you know, so, matter of fact, how many of you have filled out a bracket? Be honest. It's, it's not like a crime or anything. I'm not people. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of you did. Uh, you know, March Madness, NCAA tournament. We're trying to figure out, and people are choosing teams that they believe are going to go all the way. Um, we did a staff bracket, and uh, several of us pooled uh, together. Or not pooled together. We, what money? Don't think that. Uh, but we we came together. Get in trouble. Um, and, and just for fun, we were uh, checking uh, out the brackets, you know, and creating our own. And and uh, and currently, uh, right now, I believe that I am in next to last place. And so, uh, matter of fact, the only person that's got less points than I do is uh, Allison Holton. And um, <clears throat> and <laughs> this is true. Uh, you know, matter of fact, I was looking at my bracket last Sunday, and I was at like the 20 percentile, which means 80 percent of the people who do this bracket in the country have made better picks than me. And I was thinking, you know, literally, I mean, percentage-wise, I could have put a blindfold on and just thrown darts at teams and done better. Uh, but in the bracket challenge, here's what we do, okay? Those of you who play this, we pick these teams and we become fans of these teams. I, you know, last week, I was a fan of Murray State and Vandy. You know, but why was I a fan of them? Not because I've been a long time, you know, wow, devoted person of those schools. I was a fan because I needed them to come through for me and my bracket. But in my bracket, I am, while a fan of many, a true follower of only one. And those of you who know a little bit about me, you know it's about Baylor. Yes, thank you. Now, I've been a follower of Baylor through the really dark times. The times whenever there were more opposing fans in the stadium than our fans. The times whenever our basketball player decided to kill another one of our basketball players. True. Not a joke. The time whenever our our football team was absolutely pathetic for long periods of time. I see some nods. There's pain. There's There's empathy there, right? Some of us have been there. And now all of a sudden we've entered the day of the bear. We've got RG3. We've got the Heisman Trophy. Drayton McLean just said he's going to build us a brand new stadium right on the Brazos River. We've got undefeated Lady Bears blowing through the tournament, probably going to win the whole thing with crazy Brittany Griner doing another slam dunk right last night in the tournament. And then we've got the dudes, the guys, right? I mean, we're talking Elite Eight, and yes, the services will be over in time for me to catch the 130 game. Thank you, CBS. I've been a follower for a long, long time. Now, there's a bandwagon of fans that are really rooting Baylor on because it's Big 12 and you got to do that, right? you got to do it for your bracket. Fan or follower. Let's take this analogy into our relationship with Christ. And as we jump into John chapter 6, we're going to unpack this passage and discover what title we've assigned ourselves in the bracket of our lives. John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus with barley loaves, five barley loaves, two fish. And in this moment, he shows his power over creation, certainly, with this miraculous endeavor. 
Lots of people experience the free food and he becomes the Pied Piper. People are following him. This is so cool. This is awesome. And Jesus withdraws and he goes to the mountain. His disciples head to the lake. They hop in the boats. They cross over, charting a course toward Capernaum. And then, in the midst of their travel, what happens? But Jesus comes walking on the water. They're a little freaked out. Matter of fact, it appears in John chapter 6, they're even a little afraid of letting him in. But they eventually let him into the boat. And when he gets in the boat, cool, one of my favorite little stories, maybe it's because I've always been a Star Trekkie, okay? But, to some degree, I don't like wear the stuff and go to the movie. But, it's like, they have this teleportation Star Trek moment where the boat immediately goes to the shore. How cool is that? you got to read it for yourself. Some of you don't believe me. Just check it out. And so they wind up on the shore, and here we are. After this first teleportation moment in history, the crowd starts to hunt for Jesus again. Verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, Jesus sees right through it. The crowd could care less how he got there or when he got there. They're just a little bit ticked off that Jesus is now playing hide and seek with them because he's got the food. Right? They're hanging out. They got a free meal. Dinner's happened. It's been 12 hours. They're hungry again. And Jesus did not give them a forwarding address. And he clarifies their motive. As a matter of fact, in verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He says there's food that spoils and there's food that endures. Now, he's not talking about the difference between canned spam and deli meat here. All right? He's talking about two different kinds of food. Jesus' point, these people were more interested in satisfying their stomachs than their hearts. He's going spiritually. They're thinking physically. They choose the physical We do that, right? We allow the eternal to be pushed aside so often in our lives. It's easy to do. I mean, we wake up, we've got all these, well, I've got all these kids. I don't know how many kids you got, but we've got a lot of kids. But we got, you know, and it's like, here we go, we got work and we got, we got food prep and we got clean the house and we got, you know, we got, we got all these things that we're doing and we're checking Facebook and we're connecting with friends and we're, we're, we're just doing life, right? We're fixing the light bulb and we're taking kids to soccer practice and we're going to the games and we've got a club and we're meeting at whatever. And then we go through the whole day and we get to the end of the day and we lay our head on the pillow and we wake up the next morning and start it all over again. And we do six days of it and then we come in here and we sing a worship song and we think in the back of our minds. And I know we do because I've done it. Wow, I had different intentions on how the last six days would be spent. I wanted to start the week out talking to you more, God, and connecting with you more in your love letter to me. I wanted to spend the week connecting with my neighbor that doesn't know you. I wanted to spend the week more intentional in the spiritual development of my children. 
And what I allowed to happen was this, this thrust of the immediacy of life to overshadow the eternal. They're in this moment that we so often find ourselves. Back to the story. Verse 28, then they ask, what must we do to do the works God requires? Stop here. They're missing the point. If you're a highlighter type person in your Bible, this is a great place to circle the word do. They think Jesus must mean they have to add more stuff to their ever-expanding list of things they thought they had to do to earn God's favor. There are entire denominations and religions out there. Some of us have those in our background that are built on how much do we do to hopefully earn the favor of God. Verse 29, Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What an amazing answer. He says, no, people, it's not about doing more stuff. It's about me. It's about the relationship. Do you really believe who I am? If you do and you connect with me, then that is what's going to make all the difference. Verse 30. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Oh, they're back to the doing thing. Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So still focusing on the doing, they focus in on Jesus and they say, Jesus, what will you do so that we can believe what you are saying? Prove it to us, Jesus. Now, this is kind of ironic and really rather silly, right? Because it's not been 12 hours that he feeds over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And they're like, prove it, Jesus. And yet we do the same thing. Jesus shows up, and yet still, ah, you know, I need something else, God, to really make me take that step of faith. Well, I know you've done all this, but that was then. What about now? Still focusing on the doing. Prove it, Jesus. I mean, you want us to believe you that you're going to have to do more than what we've already seen. I mean, after all, Jesus, Moses fed an entire nation for 40 years with food out of heaven. What are you going to do? Verse 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus, first of all, clarifies and says, hold on, people. You silly people. God did that, not Moses. He didn't have the man in his back pocket. Right? God showed up and did that. The bread you are missing, the bread you can have right now, is shaped in the form of a Messiah. It is me. But the crowd still misunderstands. They think that he's thinking physiologically. They think he's, th- he's, he's speaking materialistically. And so they say in verse 34, Sir, from now on, give us this bread. Jesus, give us, this, give us the magic toast. Give us the supernatural sourdough, Jesus. I mean, we loved The dinner. You're going to give us something that's even better than that? Oh, we'll take that, Jesus. Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone 
who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. And in this passage, in this moment, in John chapter 6, Jesus extends the offer of salvation to them that is more than just their physical needs. And He does the same thing for us today. Those words still ring true this morning. You want to live forever? You go through Jesus. And He says to each of us that He will make good on His promise to not only deliver in this life, but in the life to come. But the world, the, the crowd rejects His offer because they can't get past The fact that he is Joseph's son. Let's continue. 31. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say I came down from heaven? But wait a minute, Jesus. We know your background. Now you're telling us you're who? You're what? You're going to do what for us? And then there's a passage here that moves into several verses where it describes his response to them based on their response to him because they're grumbling about it. And in my mind's eye, what I see in this moment is that Jesus breaks out into song and there's a flash mob. That's just how I see it. And I see and I see him singing, are you grumbly hateful or humbly grateful? What's your attitude? That's just what I see. Maybe it's because I'm a father of small children and these little bitty songs like this stick into my mind. And I know it sticks into yours as well. I don't know, but I just see this moment. And the music stops and Jesus makes his offer again. Verse 47, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Their spiritual eyes are not yet opened He's saying, I am the bread of life. I am the non-negotiable in life's recipe. But they don't get what he's offering. And maybe it's because they can't get back, can't get past the imagery. And they really don't want to be cannibalistic. Maybe it's because they really can't get past his history. And they know who his earthly father is. They're creating a variety of reasons as to why they don't want to accept The message. We do this. I do this. We make all kinds of excuses, right? As to why Jesus is not our bread of life. I don't like what I see in other Christians. I've been busy. The church treated me bad. The church treated my family bad. I don't have enough time, God. When I get older. Well, this Jesus stuff is fine for my kids. I mean, that's why I'm here. I'm in, and I'm in the service because this is better than just hanging out in my car, scrolling through Facebook until my kids get finished. And we create all of these excuses and all of these reasons. When I finish doing what I want to do, God, when you prove you really are worthy for me to follow you, God, when life starts to slow down, God, then I will really follow you. 
And Jesus says to them in verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Jesus is using a figure of speech here. Now, I will say, and we have many in our congregation that have come from the Catholic faith. And one of the things that Catholicism believes about the Lord's Supper is that when you take the bread and you take the wine, that it actually is the body of Christ. And there is some supernatural thing that happens based on this passage that uh, they call transubstantiation. If you say that fast ten times, then you're really cool. Um, my perspective is that the Lord's Supper has not even been initiated yet in this passage, and it does make very much sense to me that symbolically Jesus is speaking about himself no more literally than that he is a literal lamb of God or lion or any other symbol used to describe the Messiah in the Scriptures. He uses the bread as a symbol. And it's critically important for us to see this through not the 21st century perspective, but through their context. Because, you know, what? when we we think of bread, (laughs) we're thinking that's that's an evil, right? I mean, that's the nasty carb. I'll just have the meat, please, right? That is keeping me from the thin tone body that I want. In their day, bread was necessary. It was a part of the day. It was a non-negotiable in their diet. And so he chooses bread, not by accident, but intentionally speaking into their context to say, listen, this is not just a good idea to have on the table for your meal of life. You have to have me. Jesus stops. And again, in my imagination, there is this long dramatic pause. And then we discover that Jesus' teaching on that day actually begins to uncover three distinct groups of people in the crowd. First, there are those who chose open defection. They are the fans in the bracket. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit. And they are life. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer followed him. These people were fans. They were attracted by the crowd. They were attracted by the food. Nice picnic in the park, Jesus. Can't wait to see what you do for Easter. The works. Some of the words. The wonder bread. The super fish. When the points of his sermon get sharp, they retreat to the back pews. And many even walk away. These fans decided that the demands of Christ were too much. I'm guessing, although I don't know this because they don't define the fans by name, that some of these people were probably hanging out with Jesus when they heard him say other things. Like the first shall be last. Die to self. Leaders who serve. Live a pure and holy life. Love your enemies. Go the extra mile. And the crowd begins to thin. And just as it did yesterday, and 2,000 years ago, 
It thins today because we have an option. We get to embrace this faith that still sees followers of Christ martyred and persecuted for their faith every day in our world. Or we can choose to live the American dream and miss out on God's desires and dreams for our lives. And open defection doesn't normally occur in the same way today as it did back then. It's not get up in the middle of the service because, okay, I've had enough what the preacher's saying, I'm out of here. It happens more in the context of we come here, we experience this, we get back in our cars, and we decide somewhere along the way in our minds that that's just not for us right now. And maybe we never come back. Or maybe we do when we get desperate enough. Or maybe we do when we've made things as much of a mess as we could possibly make them by trying to do life on our own. Disconnected from the one who made us and knows us best and loves us most. So the crowd thins out, but Christ's closest disciples remain. And Jesus asked them a question. He says, verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Another great place to underline in this chapter. I believe Jesus knew what was in their hearts. He is the Son of God. And yet, I believe that Jesus also knew those guys needed to hear themselves say it. A time for courage, a time for faith, a time for personal declaration when the crowd begins to thin out. In our culture, the road to holiness feels like a salmon swimming upstream, right? It does. Which movie will I choose? Oh, oh, ah. The crowd thins out when purity is in the house. When we decide to do our taxes with integrity, when we choose to do what is right, when the employer is asking us to compromise. When we choose to spend our money and our time and our energy not on ourselves or our own selfish gain, but on others and eternal perspective. And the crowd starts to thin. And Jesus gave Peter this opportunity to make a personal declaration, to say, quote, I believe and know that you are the Holy One, the Son of God. And the question is, did you enter the auditorium this morning needing to make that declaration? Maybe you hadn't really thought of it. Maybe God knew exactly what you needed. And what you need to do is make that personal declaration of who Jesus is to you. That I'm not just a fan of yours, Jesus, but I am a follower and I'm verbally stating that to you, God. Because I realize this decision that I've got to make when I get home, when I'm in the midst of whatever I'm doing this week, is a huge one. And there is certain temptation to compromise. And just slink back to the easy seat of a fan. It's in that moment with firm determination that we dig our heels in and acknowledge that we are not fans of yours, Jesus, but we are followers. And standing in the middle of this chosen band of men stood Judas, the one who sounded like a truly sincere disciple. I mean, really. Let's go back to Mary, anointing Jesus' feet with oil. 
with perfume. And what did Judas do? He's like, well, I mean, it's fine, all right, but I mean, we really could have used that. We didn't have to use all of it. I mean, we could have used some of that certainly to like, you know, help the needs of the poor. It sounded noble. The truth is, what we know about Judas is that he was holding on to the purse strings of the finances, the little finances that the disciples had, and he was skimming off the top. And so all of a sudden, the perfume is spilled out. There's no time to sell it for cash that he could skim off the top before they gave it to the poor. Deceptive. He was a fake. His life was filled with subtle deception. Verse 70, Jesus replies, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. And so the question is, can we even identify ourselves with Judas? You think, I prefer not to do that, Randy. I mean, he did hang himself. and He wasn't real. And yeah. And, and you know what? There's been times in my life when I wasn't real. Oh, you know, I, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it, but you know, really, I'm just playing one on Sunday. We can be that person so easily. I was thinking about this as God was working in our small group. We're covering this material right now called Not a Fan. It's by Kyle Eidelman, a pastor out of Southeastern uh, uh, Church in somewhere in Kentucky. And, um, well, let me back up for a minute. Uh, North Korea. Random. Um, there. Hmm. Syrup. Uh, <laughs> North Korea, they're in the World Cup several years ago. There's fans all in the stadium, right? The announcers go, you know, some of you might think this is kind of odd because North Koreans don't have freedom to move all throughout the country. All throughout, I'm sorry, all throughout the world. And yet, they're here. Well, really, they're not here. North Korea paid China for fans to sit in the stands to cheer for them. True story. And it hits me. As a pastor, how many times have I been a paid fan? Paid to cheer for God and to cheer for you. You None of us are immune. Slipping into fan mode can happen to anybody if our eyes are not focused on Christ. Hebrews 12.2 and maybe you've been a follower for some time, but lately you've slipped into fan or fake mode. Let me give you some encouragement. Peter, firmly determined to receive Jesus as the bread of life, finding himself then later, ready? Denying Jesus three times before the crucifixion, only then later to become one of the key figures in the Jesus movement that built momentum post-resurrection. And then finally crucified upside down for the fact that he believed and knew that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And I bank everything in my life on that fact. 
You see, even if you came in this morning with a heart of subtle deception, or you're right on the edge of open defection, God looks into our lives and He says, I want to meet you right where you are. You are literally one step away from living a life that is truly, vibrantly, really connected to a real God. Maybe you would say today, Jesus, I'm going to make this declaration to you. And to use Randy's silly vernacular, you're not just going to be the pick of the week for me. I'm not hanging out here in Jesus' world because all the analysts believe that you win or because by default I choose you. But as a matter of fact, I jump in all the way saying, you are my Savior and my King, the Holy One of God, and I pick you for eternity. And by the way, the cool thing is, Jesus, in his bracket, in that tournament of our lives and all eternity, he wins. And so God, I stand with you. Because I realize who Jesus is and what he did. I invite you to close your eyes with me for a moment. For some of us in the room, we've never been a follower at all. And you would say, you know, I know, Randy, that God created me, but I I don't know what next. The what next is recognizing that God is right now in this moment offering you the one and only solution that we all have to our sin problem. It's the same sin problem that has plagued all of humanity all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it's the most important thing that we could possibly hear. That Jesus Christ lived and died, was crucified for me and you as a substitute that we really should have been there. That that is what our sin deserved. And placing our faith and trust in Him as our Savior is the only way to live life to its fullest, both now and forever. And you can take that step of faith right now by saying something like this. No magic words, but Jesus, I know you died on the cross and that you rose again to save me. That I am separated from you without him. Forgive me of my sin. By faith I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, my friend. Change my life, God. Help me live for you as a follower of yours, God. For others of us in the room, maybe what needs to happen isn't what just happened to some of us. And that is moving from creation of His to child of His. Because those who went that direction just now stepped into a relationship with Him forever. Maybe you've started that process. Maybe it was years ago, recently. But you feel like you've kind of slipped back into 
fan mode. And choices are on the horizon. And you recognize whether they're big life decisions or one of the thousands that we choose every day. That God's called you to something greater than being a fan. But a follower. And maybe what you need to say in this moment to Him is a personal declaration. Jesus, I declare that You are the Holy One. That You are the Son of God. And that You and only You are worth following. Not my own selfish ambition. Not my own dreams. God, You'll give me dreams and desires when I take a step in Your direction. God, thank You for this moment. It's not by accident that You pursued us all to this place. God, thank You for reminding us of who Your Son Jesus is. In this critical time when we are less than 14 days now away from remembering and celebrating His death and resurrection. God, may we live lives to this day. And tomorrow morning when we wake up, that look like we are followers of your son Jesus.